Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's talk by Lama Kathy Wesley is entitled, What Illness Teaches Us. No one plans to get a major illness, so when one strikes, one's Dharma practice can be thrown off balance. By using techniques taught in the Tibetan Lojong or mind training texts, we can learn some things from illness about impermanence, grasping, and even gratitude that enrich every moment of our experience. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, uh, first things first, I'm happy to be here um, because, you know, uh, as, as they say, it sure beats the alternative. Um, but uh, I'm sorry I've been uh, out of action for a little while. Uh, many of you uh, know that um, in August I got pneumonia and I was laid up for a couple of weeks. And then um, after that, um, at the end of that, I got a broken rib, and at the end of that, I got pneumonia again. Uh, and so it's been, I've been busy. Let's just say I've been busy. And, uh, and then in the middle of that, uh, I decided to, between the two bouts of pneumonia, I wonder what caused the second one. Between the two bouts of pneumonia, I, I decided to go ahead and carry through on promises that I had made to other centers and, uh, and uh, taught in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, and then in, at uh, Lama Sultram Yeshe's place in Hay River, Wisconsin. And then last weekend was the fall retreat. Uh, we have some fall retreat people here. Yay, they survived the fall retreat. Uh, and uh, it will probably, our next fall retreat will be in October of 2019, so plan to be there. And we'll, we'll, have, the, we'll have the date ready for you in the not too distant future. And so um, after, um, uh, after this rather you know, exciting few weeks, I figured that it would be good for uh, me to talk about uh, a little bit about the experience that I had and a little bit about what uh, illness and injury can teach us. Uh, because I've, I've just been talking to people who've been in car accidents and, and so forth and so on. And, um, and so it's, uh, there's been a lot of things going around. And some people say, well, is, is there something, something moving in the ether? Uh, and, uh, and, you know, like, is there some type of karmic storm coming that we should probably know about, kind of batten down the hash, hatches like the, for a hurricane? And someone asked uh, Kempel Carter Rinpoche, um, the founder of our center, uh, who's now 95 years old, and he's still teaching. Someone asked him this question a few weeks ago because several people uh, in, the, uh, in our larger national sangha were also encountering illness and injury and problems. And they, uh, they asked Rinpoche the same question. And he said, no, nothing special. It's just samsara. And, uh, and what this uh, refers to is it refers to the, uh, the Buddha's teaching on this uh, world that we live in, this sort of imperfect, uh, troubled, difficult world of what uh, has been known as cyclic existence. And the cyclic existence uh, means that because suffering is the engine that drives it, uh, that, um, that that suffering is actually what comes from it. So the so the Buddha's teaching of the four noble truths addressed suffering, its causes, its solutions, and the path. And so uh, when someone asked the Buddha, well. Um, do you have a specific deity that you pray to or a deity that you work with and so forth? He said, no, I'm, I'm not about deities. I'm, I'm about suffering, its cause, its solution, and the path that brings an end to suffering. He said, my teachings are about relieving suffering. And so 
when someone came to Kemper Rinpoche and said a few weeks ago, is there something happening and is, are there more bad things happening now than used to be and should we be worried? He basically said, no, it's just samsara. And so since that's the, uh, since that's the, the uh, I guess you could call it the expert opinion, uh, the expert opinion about what is going on right now, then that, what that means is that our job is uh, not to worry about the, um, what we might say the backstory behind all of these things is, because as, uh, as Buddhist practitioners and those who study the Buddhist teachings, we sort of know the backstory. Uh, if, uh, to just briefly uh, state the Buddha's teachings on this, he said that suffering, uh, that was the first of his noble truths, suffering is part of life, meaning that everyone experiences some kind of suffering, everybody. Uh, even the person you think of as having it all together, <laughs> the person who has everything and has it all together, even they are suffering. They just suffer in a different way than we do. And so because they're suffering in a different way than we do, we might think they are not suffering, but they still are. And so, uh, uh, and so the, 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 the teaching of the Buddha is that suffering is part of life for everyone. But he also talked about the uh, cause of suffering. And even though living in this world that's built on science, we say, Oh, well, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So the idea is that all things come from causes. And so even the Buddha said things come from causes. And those causes are actually within us. And so he said the causes of suffering are not the external things that happen to us in our life. The causes of suffering are not external to us, but they are internal. That th and this is why people can appear to have it all together and have everything and still suffer because the cause of, of suffering and the cause of happiness are not external. External things may help us to weather the suffering or may help us to promote happiness, but they are not themselves the cause of suffering and happiness. The causes of suffering and happiness are within us. And that is what the Buddha discussed in his uh, second noble truth. He, he discussed the, the cause of suffering. And the cause of suffering, he said, was clinging and fixation. We cling to and fixate on things. And because we hold on to them so tightly, we suffer. And, and the things we hold on to are myriad. We hold on to people and situations and ideas and, uh, and things. We, we cling to all of these different things. And because we cling, we create a relationship with those things. And the relationship is one of me and the thing I am clinging to. That is the relationship. And so it ends up being about me and my relationship to this person or my relationship to this thing. And I think you may see where we're going here. The Buddha said that clinging and fixation is the cause of suffering, but who is doing the clinging and who is doing the fixating? It's me, I, was it the, I, I, me, and mine. That's what's doing this, the clinging. And so this root of this absolute root of suffering is self-fixation. We have a self and we cling to it. And by clinging to it, we create a great deal of suffering. Because if we didn't cling to our self-concept, then if somebody said a nasty word to us, we wouldn't react if we weren't clinging. But because we cling, when people say harsh words to us, we get upset. And when they do negative things to us, we get upset. And that all of that, all of those upset feelings are rooted in our self-fixation. And so uh, the, the Buddha very, uh, very clearly and very distinctly was able to express what all of us know, which is that holding on creates suffering. And so then the third truth becomes evident from that, which is if 
Clinging is the problem. Letting go is the solution. Learning how to let go of fixation on things and people and situations, learning how to detach, as my friends in 12-step like to say, how to detach with love from things. If we can detach in this way, then we, be, uh, we are um, uh, being more in tune with what is, the changeable nature of everything. If we can let go, we can feel and be with the changing nature of everything. And if we hold on, then the changing nature of everything becomes very upsetting and unsettling. And so being able to let go promotes happiness. And this is the uh, fourth noble truth is the how. Because it's, you, you can't just say to someone who's suffering, oh, just let that go. You can't do that. And, and so you have to give them a method or a technique for letting go. And then this is the substance of the fourth of the Four Noble Truths of the Buddha, which um, is summarized by, the, uh, by both the Eightfold Noble Path uh, and the, the Eightfold Noble Path, but also by the four statements, which is do no harm, practice virtue, and tame your mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. And so do no harm means not to harm yourself and not to harm others. Um, do as much virtue as possible means to take care of yourself and benefit others. And taming the mind means to meditate, to learn how to let go in the moment. Anybody who has ever done meditation, and I think there are few in this room who have practiced meditation, understand how this works. If you use breath awareness meditation as your method, and as you breathe in, you don't hold that breath, you let it go. And uh, as you let it go, you place your attention on it. And as you place your attention on the breath, it may stay there for a short period of time and then it'll sort of wander off into perhaps the past or it might wander off into the future. But if you notice it, that you have wandered off and you touch that wandering with your attention. You could even say thinking and then let it go and then return your attention to the breath for a fresh start. If you can perform that simple practice, you're taming your mind and you're learning to let go. You're learning to let go. If you can let go of a breath going out, if you can let go of a thought that's arisen, you have practiced letting go. And you have uh, some experience of letting go under your belt. And the more you practice this letting go, the more you practice being attentive and letting go of distraction and returning, letting go and returning. I have friends who tell me, they say, but I, but I have to let go of thoughts a lot during my meditation. And I say, perfect, because that's where the power comes from. The power comes from noticing, taking the choice, to notice, let go, and making the choice to return. You've strengthened your ability to return and your dedication to returning and your dedication to being sane. Because those thoughts, if we spin off with them, they may take us to some pretty wild places. We might worry out there. We might stew about something or ruminate on something and become very upset when really if all we could do is notice, notice, and consciously let go and consciously return. We've really practiced a powerful thing. I know superhero movies are very popular, but the biggest superhero we have is within ourselves, that ability and strength to notice what causes us pain and let go. Notice, let go, and return. So if that's something that we can do, uh, over and over again, then this is something uh, that uh, will help us uh, going forward. It's, I guess you could say it's a, it's a skill. It's a skill that we can train in. So uh, anyway, uh, that's just a little bit about the, um, the basics of, of, uh, of Buddha Dharma and Buddhist teaching. I'm looking for, um, looking for something. Pardon me. Here it is. Okay. I, I have a bad memory, so if I, if I don't do things right away, I forget about them. Mr. Clark, paging Mr. Clark, uh, just in case. 
I just, you know, sorry, I wanted to do that before I forgot. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so what does uh, illness have to teach us? That's, um, that's the topic, and I'll talk on it for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll have a discussion. Uh, I, anybody been sick this year? All right, all right. It, it's not fun. Not, I mean, number one, uh, some, some people feel that if they, they don't have to go to work on a particular day, that's a good thing. But, uh, but then payday comes and, well, you get the picture. So, um, so there's a, it's a mixed bag. It's, uh, it's good to, um, to allow oneself to rest when it's possible. And sometimes illness uh, and injury cause an interruption in, the, in our daily routine. And uh, that's both a bad thing from the income point of view, but it's also a good thing from the uh, sort of mental and spiritual point of view, because many of us uh, have to work so hard to make a living uh, that it is very difficult uh, for us to let up even for a, a minute. And, uh, but illness forces us to open our hand on all of those responsibilities that we have been clutching. It causes us, and all those responsibilities and duties that we clutch and identify with and say, this is me, I am this job, I am this thing I am doing. I am, as, uh, as one Lama said, I am doing rather than being. <laughs> I am a sentient doer rather than a sentient being. If we can learn how to let go, then it's easier. It's easier to be in life if you can learn how to let go. And so being ill causes us to let go. It forces us to let go. When our body is weak or when we've experienced an injury, it forces us to let go. It changes our routine. It takes us out of our usual self-identity. And uh, as uh, sudden awakenings go, that could be a good thing. That could be a good thing because we might need, we might need that break of uh, of our everyday responsibilities. We might need it. The other thing that illness does is it uh, causes us to be more inward. I remember when I was. Uh, very weak from my illness. Uh, I couldn't really do very much. I wasn't hungry, didn't feel well, and just kind of sat in my chair uh, because I couldn't even lie down to sleep. I, the breathing was too difficult. And so in, in that moment, I realized that I was sort of on a retreat. I know people can spend big money and go on retreat someplace. And they would like maybe to go to retreat in the mountains where it's beautiful, or they could go by the seashore where it's beautiful. But I realized that this, this sickness that I had was forcing me into retreat. And, uh, and that was actually not a bad thing. Because once I realized that that was the theme that I could take hold of, then that made things a lot easier for me. I could uh, recite mantras while I was sitting in the chair. Uh, I, have a, I have a prayer wheel, and I could spin my prayer wheel even when I wasn't feeling well. And, uh, and that allowed me uh, the opportunity to allow myself to slow down just a little bit because I'm a go, go, go girl. My mother used to say, uh, that I was like off in the wind, you know. Uh, she never could figure out where I was from one minute to the next because I was so busy. And I maintained that level of activity my entire life. So now that I have come to be hmm, 64, now that I have come to be older, uh, I'm realizing now that I may have a few more retreats ahead of me. And uh, having this sickness allowed me to let go and to see that the world actually would turn without me. And at first there's a little resentment there. Oh, darn. I sort of thought that they couldn't do without me, but they can. 
and at first that makes you feel a little bad, but then you realize that that's okay to feel a little bad because you're not supposed to hold on so tight, and that the pain of letting go is actually a good pain because you didn't need to be holding on to all of that in the first place. And when you come back to it, you come back to it in a different way. In fact, uh, when you're sick, a lot of the things you used to do seem a little distant and somewhat meaningless. Like, oh, I cared about that? Okay, that's interesting. And this worried me? Okay, fine. And as we let go of more of these stories, like, oh, it's really important to do. No, it's not. Oh, it's really important to go. No, it's not. Because we don't have the physical go power when we're ill. We have to withdraw and we have to turn within. And of course, then you have the opportunity to say, oh, it's late at night. What's life about? What's the meaning of life? It's really late. I can't sleep. What's the meaning of life again? 42? Oh, that was from the book. Okay. Anyway, uh, I read science fiction when I was in college. And the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that was the meaning of life, was the number 42. I, just in case somebody listening to this says, what was that joke? There you go. I mean, if you have to explain them, they're not funny, but still. Go read the book. It's good. Um, so you do wonder about these things. And what's really interesting is that the more meditation a person has done in their life, the more readily they will take to these periods of silence and these periods where the mind is kind of just at rest or wandering a bit because you can bring your attention back again and again and again and again and as you do that you can get a sense uh, that the meaning of life is actually being here now because being here now with the mind that you have is the best place you could possibly be. And in fact, it is the only place you can ever be. And there are many, many Buddhist teachings that talk about how to rest your mind in its own nature, how to let go of all of the chatter in the mind and allow the mind to be at ease in itself, not ambitiously doing anything but just being in itself. And so many people go so far to let go and let go and let go, and they have to force open the fist of, of, their, of their clinging to this and that. But in illness, you're naturally letting go of it all. And at some point, you just are able to be with your mind as it is, and it's okay. The mind as it is is what experiences everything. And the mind as it is, is actually the source of all happiness and suffering. And therefore, if you know it, and you are able to rest within it, then a comfort comes upon a person that is not ruffled by anything. But this takes practice. But illness gets you closer. That's a joke. Nobody wants to go out and get ill without good, you know, without good reason. But sometimes the forced retreat of being ill is actually just what a person needs to be reminded of what's important. Many people have said to me that serious illness changed their perspective and allowed them to let go of things that weren't important and take hold of the simple things in life, like love and relationship, and from a Buddhist standpoint, the mind being able to take hold of that which is uh, eternal and always. And the mind that we have now is the mind we will always have. And getting to know it is like coming home. Uh, you can read His Holiness Karmapa's teachings on this. He says that the practice of meditation is the practice of returning home 
to mind's basic nature again and again and again. And so I guess you could say that what illness has to teach us is that slowing down and relinquishing responsibilities and, I, and relinquishing the identification with one's work and doing is actually a good thing. A lot of people spend a lot of good money to go on retreat to learn how to let go, but illness allows us to let go naturally because it forces us to rest. And by forcing us to rest, we can turn inward and learn how to relax with what is. And it also can allow us to do our practices maybe in an unrushed, unhurried way. Because most people who are busy, when they sit down to meditate, they're actually already projecting themselves into the future, to the end of the session and what they're going to do when they're finished. And they don't allow themselves to be present on their meditation seat. Uh, to that end, by the way, I got a piece of advice uh, from His Eminence Tai Sita about this. He said, when you sit down to practice your meditation, he said, pretend, he knows how we are, he said, pretend that you have all the time in the world and you are not in a hurry to meditate. Just pretend. Just imagine that you have all the time in the world. He says, and that will induce some relaxation in your mind that will make it easier for you to do your meditation practice. And so um, if we can slow down and look within and rest our minds and practice in an unhurried way, then when those dark nights come, when we say, what does it all mean? We can remember that the Buddha said, mind is everything, and that happiness arises within the mind that is without clinging and without fixation. Illness naturally pairs away clinging and fixation and allows the mind to rest within itself. Beyond that, there are many other benefits to illness and injury uh, that we could talk about a little later, but I think I want to stop here for a minute and see if maybe we could get a discussion going about our own experiences with illness. We have the, we have the comment and question microphone uh, ready uh, because we record these talks so that other people can hear them later on the podcast. Uh, and so if you could use that to ask questions or to make comments. We'll, we'll start with this. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So I guess I don't have really a question, but I have a comment or at least an experience I would like to share. So five years ago, I had a concussion. And for three months, I had to lie down in my bed, and I wasn't able to do anything. Wow. I couldn't walk. I couldn't look at light. I had to stay in the darkness. I couldn't talk. Mm. Um, it was like the most frightening experience I made in my life. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, um, I, I fight, fight in, within myself against it. I was like, no, I want to walk. I want to, 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 mm. to talk. I want to do stuff. I want to, do, to continue my job. Yeah, by the way, I lost my job, of course. Oh. Um, and, um, and after a month, I accepted it. Because I had no other choice. It's not like I had a choice. I had to accept. Either I would have, I would accept, or I would continue to suffer. Mm. So I just accepted it, and suddenly everything went better. N I wouldn't wow. say good, but better. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why I, I I bring that up is not for the this particular story, because this is far in my past, and I I feel. Like it's 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 done. <laughs> but uh, just um, when I have now any other thing, I I need to let it go. I didn't get that thing, or this person didn't do the way I would like them to do it. I mean, this is so so easy. This is so easy to let it go, because I had to let go like the fundamental, 
like walking, like talking. And now I may, maybe that's how I became Buddhist, like by training, because ah. now everything is easy to let it go. So I'm just, you know, showing that, uh, sharing that with you guys. Just have a concussion, <laughs> and that will that will be so <laughs> easy for you to let it go afterwards. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, uh, thank you for sharing this story, and uh, I am sorry for what happened. But at the same time, but at the same time, uh, we can feel compassion for what happened uh, in your life. But at the same time, your story is, I think, uh, a, a universal story. I think uh, for anybody, because I think anybody who has a sudden change in their health, that you, I think you're right at first. There's this uh, almost um, resentment, this anger at this thing. Why did this happen? And, uh, and I don't want it, and I want to fight it. And it's so amazing that you can tell the story now and realize and, and see and, and know everything because you were there, right? It, it, it happened to you. You learned from it. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing because... Now, there's, uh, I think what I'm hearing you say is that you saw that the struggle, the fight, was part of the pain, yeah? And so, and so being able to let go of that, wow, that's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, I'm not sure I recommend it to others, <laughs> your method, but... Uh, just like I don't recommend people getting pneumonia, you know, I don't recommend it. It's it's really hard on your body, right? Yeah, yeah, it's hard on your body. But thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's, it's um, being a human being is like a journey, yeah, and uh, and we have so many twists and turns in the story, uh, but uh, each each one we can connect. We have the the capability of to connecting to ourselves. And connecting to others, you know, my I have a story to tell about my my husband. Um, uh, I'm you know I have a I guess you could say I, I have both a conventional and an unconventional marriage in that my husband when he married me didn't know that five years after he married me I was going to become a Buddhist, and he didn't know that like 15 years after he married me I was going to ask to go on three retreat. I mean you know it's it this was not something you know, he requested. Um, and so, um, but, so, but when I did uh, go on the three-year retreat, um, he and I talked about it extensively and so forth. And his comment was, well, you know, I really wish there was another way for you to get this training, but I guess I know you well enough that uh, if uh, I say no and uh, kick up a fuss and, uh, and uh, don't let you do this, uh, that I will never hear the end of it. <laughs> Uh, so um, my guess is that uh, I best just let you go do this thing, and so I did. And um, and when I uh, and he and I corresponded, we wrote to each other every week uh, because uh, that's how you communicate when you're in three-year retreat. There's uh, no telephone calls and no visits. They want you to really uh, focus on your studies and your practice, and uh, and and so forth and so on. And so uh, when the whole thing was over, we had actually gotten to know each other pretty well. Uh, I think I had written to him more uh, in the three years that I was gone than I had probably spoken to him in the previous 15 years of our being together. Anyhow, um, and you know, and when you're writing to somebody, you tend to like tell them things, you know, and stuff that you wouldn't say otherwise. Anyhow, so uh, when I got back, I, I, you know, we kind of debriefed a bit. And he said, well, you know, he said, I had a retreat of my own, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, I guess that's so. And he said, you know, he said, I had a retreat of my own. And, uh, and he said, and you know, he said, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. He said, I had to learn how to be alone. He says, you have to remember, I, I lived with a, an older brother and my family my whole life. And then instantly I left home and instantly got married. I was never alone. Uh, and so, uh, and so we were, you know, so uh, we met, I know it's classic. We met in high school and married in college. I mean, these things happen, right? So anyway, so, and he said, so I, I was afraid to be alone. And he said, um, but this retreat, he said, now I, I, I find that I can do it. 
and I'm not scared of it anymore because I, I, you, you made me do it, and now it's okay. And he said, but before I was really terrified. And he says, and now I, I realize, you know, day by day by day, it's, it's okay. I'm okay. And I, I'm okay by myself. And so that was what he got from retreat. Other things to discuss. We have some time. Uh-huh. Good morning. Good morning. I have a couple comments and, sure. a, and a question. Yeah. Uh, one is, uh, I read an article a couple months ago about uh, economic disparity in our country and uh-huh. interviewed a few people. And one of the women was in the upper 1%. Okay. But she had a lot of anxiety because she oh. was in the lower portion of, oh. of the 1%. Oh, my. <laughs> so, uh, wow. See, it's your, all your, relative, isn't it? Your early comment uh, in your talk reminded me of that. Yeah. Um, another thing is I uh, could really relate about um, how we can... Say very, that again, please. I, I was, uh, could relate to what your comment about uh, the need to slow down and yeah. how we put too much effort into doing. Yeah. And it reminds oh, me of yeah. every time... Um, and it didn't happen often, but when I'd be going to work and I would get a flat tire or some other... Thing and, nuisance. and I'd have to call up and say, well, I'm going to be late or something. There was never a problem. It was okay. So this compulsion to be at work on time and, you know, blah, 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 is our own kind of pressure, I think. So, yeah. yeah. But my, my question mm-hmm. is why I really came up here. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about when we get sick it forces us to um, let go. To uh-huh. So would you say that the, the implication of that is that part of the cause of us getting sick is that we are too attached? Well, you know, um, uh, I'll talk about the question first and then I'll back up a little bit because that really was interesting, your story about being late. I do think it's interesting. I think the stories we tell ourselves are incredibly powerful. I think that's what I want to say about that, is that we tell ourselves stories continuously, and what we don't realize is that when we're telling ourselves these stories, we're giving them immense power. Like, I have to be at work on time, I have, and, and, I, uh, and I have to be this kind of person, and I have to do, have to do, have to do. And you're right. It's kind of like we're, we're the one with the, with the whip. You know, and we're whipping, you know, we're just kind of getting ourselves. And it's like, why are we driving ourselves like this? Like, what's up with that? And the other, the other half of that is when, when sometimes when we have a problem, and I will come to the question. Sometimes when we have a problem, it's like the problem becomes really big, and it becomes like everything. I have this problem, and then everything is then related to the problem, and then, uh, and then like, oh, I have this terrible problem. Can I tell you about my problem? And so forth. And and then I remembered my friends in 12-step who said, don't live in the problem, live in the answer. And, and what's interesting to me is that there's a letting go that happens when you have to let go of this problem that's been so important. Ah, uh, I have this problem. It's so important. But if I don't have this problem, what will I do? Anyway, so anyhow, so that's just an interesting comment on the side that your story uh, kind of sparked that understanding. So again, it's holding on, holding on, and holding on. Like the woman in the 1%, who was at the lower half of the 1%. My gosh, right? Uh, no, I think it was the lower 20%. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, it's difficult. It's just, I mean, can you imagine? Wow, wow, I'm gonna hold on to things. Now, in terms of the question of what causes illness, um, I actually, uh, I was sitting in a teaching once where one of the, the lamas was talking about this. And, uh, and actually, what you're saying has some uh, resonance with what the lama said. There's something similar in what you said and what the lama said. The lama said the root cause of, of illness, it really is this self-fixation and grasping. Because if we didn't have self-fixation and grasping, we wouldn't do all of the things we do. And then all of the effects of all of the things we do would not happen. Does that make sense? So 
you could actually say that this fixation really is sort of the root cause of all suffering, including illness. You could say that. But also, um, he also mentioned the fact that there are a lot of illnesses and problems that we have that are not the fruition of our karma, that are not, that are not really tied to any thing that we said or did in the past, but actually are just, um, the word in Tibetan, I don't know the word in Tibetan, but the way it's translated in English is adventitious. Now, I used to use the word accident when I talked about this, but the Tibetans were very definite. No, it's not accidental. It's adventitious. And I still couldn't see the difference until I thought about the example of a summer thunderstorm. A summer thunderstorm is not an accident. It is the coming together of causes and conditions. And so this adventitious illness is the coming together of causes and conditions. It just, it just happens to happen in this spot. Like that summer thunderstorm just pops up out of nowhere. Now that helped me to understand what the difference was between the English word accident and this sort of English word adventitious. It's just that it all kind of comes together. So um, the, the Kemper Rinpoche said, you can't read the tags on these things. I am, uh, I am your karma, or I am adventitious. You can't read the tags because we're not enlightened beings, so we can't really see into the depths of why something happens. So we have to treat them all the same way, which is by learning this idea of letting go and seeing what it has to show us, and then working with uh, healers and everything else we can do to try to remedy as best we can, and then after that to let the body heal itself, because a lot of treatment uh, is all about allowing the body to heal itself, which it will do over time, but the time is, we get so impatient, you know, with the time that it takes to heal. So to come uh, full circle back to your question, I think that uh, clinging and fixation do play a role in illness. Uh, and in fact, the idea of clinging to the idea of I am ill, I am sick, I am ill, this bad thing has happened, and kind of clamping onto that is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because when we clamp onto that, then we bind ourselves to it in a way that makes it a little more difficult to allow things to uh, change. Does that make sense? I don't know. Did that address your question? Uh, well, yes, it did. Okay. Uh, but while you were answering it, it, it um, brought to mind something else you said okay. this morning about, um, you know, do no harm. Uh, practice virtue. Practice virtue. Tame them all. But you added something in your explanation to those that I hadn't heard you say before, mm -hmm. and that is, uh, do no harm to ourself. Right. Do virtuous things for ourselves. Yeah. As part of it. Right. So, I'm thinking that possibly this illness is not treating ourselves yeah. well and and mistreating ourselves yeah. and not not really paying close attention. Yeah. On the front end. I'm really glad you said that because I, I do believe that that is a factor. I can't say it's everything because I, I'm not an enlightened being, I don't know. But it, it's got to be a factor that we're not paying attention to ourselves. We're not paying attention to what we're doing and how hard we're driving ourselves. And I think that, that is, um, that's something where mindfulness could come into, come into good use if we were more mindful of our energy and our activity and how we are spending our energy and activity, that could be a, a, a very beneficial insight. Well, then I think we need to really be honest with ourselves mm -hmm. and yeah. look at what we may have done to contribute to this. I mean, it's like... Yeah. When I really assessed my life, mm -hmm. I fully understood how I had contributed to everything that I was yeah. disappointed in had happened. Mm -hmm. And I think I think this health thing is would fall into that same category if we if we're yeah. really willing to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, and, and you know I appreciate you saying that because um, one of the things um, I like about 
sort of these modern movements like the um, the recovery movement and so forth. It's it's about self honesty, but it's also about self compassion. So we have to. We actually have to temper our honesty with compassion so that we're not just uh, beating up on ourselves saying, oh, I did this, oh, I did that, it's my fault, it's my fault. You know what I'm saying? We have to be balanced about it all. We have to, we have to like acknowledge our part, but also have compassion for our part. Does that make sense? Because it, then we can it, change. But, it, but it's so empowering to, to realize how we can be different and get the positive result. Uh, boy, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. It is, it is important to see, because I really appreciate that. Thank you for bringing that. Now, I see, now, now you see why I like this part of the discussion. Hello. We have time for a couple more. Hello. I, had, I don't really have much to say. Just uh, when you said the word accident, I uh, remembered this uh, uh, an interview I heard. <coughs> Uh, with an insurance uh, uh, claims adjuster or sure. something. And uh, he said the industry doesn't, you know, you, you have to fill out a paper that says accident report. Uh -huh. He says the, there's some people in the industry, they don't like that word. They think it should be car crash report. <laughs> And that uh, they're giving a negative connotation to the word accident. I see. And um, like, well, I, I was never around before cars, so I don't know. Yeah. But um, it was interesting when you said yeah. the Tibetan. I wish I knew what the Tibetan word the Tibetan was for word. this adventitious uh, occurrence. I just, you know, they, they sometimes also will translate it as sudden occurrence, which again, still to me, doesn't quite convey that summer thunderstorm analogy, but I still feel the summer thunderstorm analogy is a good analogy for this because it's just a, an adventitious coming together of things. You yeah. know, as, uh, now they the insurance industry has not changed their uh, their terminology yet, but I, hope, uh, I think they should. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, it, it really is true. It really is true. Yeah. Okay. Got another one? Yeah, I wanted to make a comment, something sure. I heard a long time ago for the mathematically inclined. Suffering equals pain times resistance. And if you understand basic math, anything times zero is zero. <laughs> so if you let the resistance go, the suffering will go. You'll still have pain. There's no escaping that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, to Tim's point, there is lots of academic research now on the benefits of mindfulness practice and health benefits. Yeah. You know, lowering blood pressure, lots of other things. Yeah. You know, I did a big research paper in the chaplaincy program. And sure. Had like six pages of peer-reviewed articles, all on the benefits of meditation, and mm. many of them were involving better health, things like that. Right. The other thing I noticed my practice once was really working. It dawned on me after the fact. When I wanted to go somewhere, uh -huh. got to my car, I had a flat tire. Uh -huh. I changed the tire and I went. Uh -huh. It was so simple. In the past, I would have yeah. you know, ranted, raved, railed, maybe not even <laughs> gone. <clears throat> but it just dawned on me, gee, that was simple. Mm -hmm. Just do it and be done with it and on right. your way. Right. So, want to make those so, comments. So that's where that's where the removal of resistance. Yeah. And see, yeah. the removal of fighting and resistance, the removal of that changes the the character of what's going on. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And and a lot of people who practice uh, mindfulness meditation do tell me that the things that used to bother them a lot don't bother them quite as much as they used to now. Uh, it's like anything that we do a lot, we do a lot. And so if, if, if we do tend to rant and rave when something goes wrong, doesn't go our way, we don't get what we want, whatever, then, then that we're practicing that as opposed to practicing the opposite, which is being able to, uh, to let go. Because it's kind of like um, you can't hold back the ocean. The ocean's going to roll in. 
And so to try to do so is a little bit insane, you know. And so, in, in, in other words, things are going to happen in this world, and they're going to happen. And if you can work with them happening, it's going to be better than, um, than if you work against them. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. So anything else that people want to know or have a comment about? Yes. I'm going to have to remind everyone about our lunch today. Yes. Okay, yeah, the, yes, at the, is it the, the uh, Ranchero? Yeah, we're having lunch today. Uh, lunch is at one. Sorry? Oh, the Ranchero Kitchen on Morse Road. Okay, so everybody, uh, please be advised. Please be advised about that. And uh, please be there. Um, that's, uh, thank you. Uh, I love it that every, it's every third Sunday, right? Approximately, yeah, give or take, give or take. Every third Sunday, we have a we have a lunch at one. At, uh, at a, we descend upon a local establishment uh, without their knowing about it. Uh, actually, no, they they sometimes know, don't they? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and uh, we we sort of we I, I'm going to make a joke now. We sort of bootify <laughs> the eating establishment. It's it's kind of nice, you know. But I appreciate you sharing that, and thank you for um, for taking the lead on this because it's it's always better when somebody is making the announcement and and making the arrangements and so forth. So thank you for that. Well, then um, I'll close with a, a very brief um, a very brief comment about something that Kempo Carter Rinpoche said once, and I've given teachings on this before, uh, but I'll just summarize uh, for now, and uh, and you can go look up the past teachings on what uh, Kemper Rinpoche said are the five joys of illness. He said that there are five joys of illness and adversity. And if we can at least entertain the notion that these five joys might really exist, uh, even if we can't do them right now, it's, it's a lovely thing to think about. Of the five joys, uh, two of them have to do with compassion. Two of them have to do uh, with an understanding of karma, and one of them is on another topic. So uh, the two parts of the, um, of the joys, of the two of the uh, five joys of uh, sickness have to do with uh, understanding compassion. Number one, uh, when we are ill, we understand what suffering is. And we can, uh, we increase our capability of feeling compassion for others because we have suffered. That's the first one. Because we have suffered, we have a larger capacity for having compassion for others. The second of the joys of sickness that has to do with illness is that, that has to do with compassion. Uh, is that when we are feeling pain and suffering, if we have trained uh, our minds in sending and receiving meditation, which is sometimes called compassion meditation, uh, we can actually use our own pain and suffering to make aspirations for the relief of pain and suffering of ourselves and all beings. Those of you who are familiar with the practice of Tonglen know that on the out-breath in Tonglen, you imagine you're sending happiness and goodness to all beings. And on the in-breath, you imagine that you're removing from them all of their suffering and difficulty. And that as you remove it from them, it dissolves into nothing and disappears. And that as you breathe out, you give happiness, breathe in and remove suffering. And he said that when you feel, when Kemper Bache was explaining this, he said, when you feel suffering, that is the, the best time to practice Tonglen, because then you really have something uh, to, uh, to use as the basis for your sending and receiving. There are two other joys of sickness that have to do with an understanding of karma. The first of which is having experienced illness, we appreciate uh, the, that karma is real and that uh, and that our uh, suffering is, uh, is a fruition of our karma, even, by the way, in adventitious circumstances. I asked Kemper Rinpoche about this once. I said, 
So Rinpoche, what you're telling me is that when I step off the curb and sprain my ankle, that may not be my karma, but my anguish at having a, a sprained ankle is? And he said, yes. So, so uh, our, the suffering we experience uh, from illness and difficulty, if we uh, look at it in this way, we can have confidence that karma is real. And, uh, and knowing that karma is real, we will make an effort not to accumulate negative karma in the future. And additionally, we have the opportunity to see what is happening to us as the fruition of and the uh, purification of karma. So those are the two things that have to do with karma. One is seeing what is happening as purification, as a way of letting it go and feeling joy. And the other is having confidence that karma is real and making a resolution that one will do no wrong in the future. And finally, the fifth of the joys of sickness has to do with pride and arrogance, meaning that when we are ill, we have to accept help from other people. And this diminishes our pride and arrogance just a little bit because we have to ask for help from others. And so in this way, there are five uh, joys that can come to us from sickness. So we'll stop here for today. Uh, I believe I'm back next week, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and I believe I have not come up with a topic yet. Whoops. Um, um, but I will take requests. So if anybody has a request, uh, you can see me after as I'm going and uh, give me some ideas for next week. But I wanted to um, thank you for being here and uh, to welcome you to come next week. Um, uh, also, uh, I, I don't know how this is going to happen, but um, I, I, if anybody is free on Wednesday and would like to attend uh, a, a two or three hour teaching, I'm giving a two or three hour teaching here on Wednesday. Um, uh, and I think it's between 11 and uh, 1 or something like that. Uh, you have to be absolutely silent, though, because it's being recorded. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get to tell jokes, but you can't laugh. So anyway, so if anybody's interested in that, you can come and see me. What's the topic? topic is uh, Tonglen. I'm doing this as a, I'm doing, <laughs> it's a very, it's a, who saw the Tricycle Magazine article? Okay, we have a few, okay. Uh, something happened, and I got interviewed for Tricycle Magazine, and it's in the January, no, it's in the, the fall, the winter issue. And, um, and they thought it would be fun to do uh, a video series, so I'm doing a video series on um, compassion meditation. Anyway, I don't know how it'll turn out. Uh, they may end up not using it, because if, the, if I'm as, if I'm as uh, mixed up today as I, <laughs> then as I am today, it's not, I do have notes. I actually do have notes. Anyway, but it will be um, Ryan, the guy who filmed our, uh, no, no, it won't be audio recorded. Uh, it will be video recorded. Do you know what the Tricycle website is? Tricycle website? No, I'm sorry, I don't. But I'm assuming it's tricycle.com, T-R-I-C-Y-C-L-E.com. I'm, I'm assuming it's there, so you can find it. you got to make sure your jokes are not. I know. I know, I know. I, I just, I, I mean, I gotta like, I gotta like be like, I, I've gotta pretend like I'm giving a TED talk, which is totally impossible. Yeah, I know. Middle path, middle path. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can do it, but we're gonna try. We're gonna try. I just have to have it done by the middle of November. That's all I know. The fellow who made our brilliant um, uh, fundraising video, uh, Ryan, will be helping me with that. So anyway. Well, let's sit quietly and uh, dedicate the goodness of this session. We'll dedicate the goodness of this session to um, all sentient beings and, um, and make the aspiration that through this merit may all beings uh, gain uh, Buddhahood and uh, coming to Buddhahood, may they emanate in all directions and uh, benefit all sentient beings endlessly. We dedicate the goodness with this thought in mind. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to the sound team. Once again, you're amazing. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.